I'm Matt Godbolt. And I'm Ben Rady. And this is Two's Compliment, a programming podcast. Hey, Ben. Hey, Matt. How are you doing? Good. So I've been thinking, I spend a bunch of time on open source projects, um, reviewing code that people have submitted uh, for by, like pull requests, right? And um, over the years of doing this, mm-hmm. and I'm super lucky that uh, I get so many people sending me pull requests, right? They want to help out with the project, which is fantastic. Um, I've started to sort of pick up some tips and ticks about how to do a good or how to review a pull request well. And then in my day job, I spend a bunch of time writing code, mm-hmm. which I then submit to other people to pull request. And, you know, you and I have talked a lot about how collaboration fits together. And pull request is just one way of collaborating. And so I yeah. figured, let's just talk about how we like to do collaboration and, and the trade-offs that there are about the different approaches. Yeah, that sounds great. There's th- there's lots of different ways to do it, for sure. And, uh, you know, I think we we actually, the two of us, have a slight difference of preference ah. when it comes to that. But um, And we can maybe maybe argue both sides. Maybe I'll argue your side, you argue my side. But um, there's there's lots of different ways to do it. And I think it, it, it is a, a really interesting topic. So, yeah, that sounds great. I love that plan. Fantastic. So, what is your position then because you said you you think we might have different positions and now i'm intrigued well i said preferences yeah and that's and it is very important to recognize that these are preferences right because it's basically like interacting with other people mm-hmm. how do you like to interact with people how do you like to interact with people well it depends on the people right some people like to go to the beach and hang out some people like to get coffee together some people like to go skydiving together <laughs> i don't know it's whatever you want to do right right, right. Whatever makes you happy. And it's, it's you know, we don't have quite that many options when it comes to reviewing source code that other human beings have written, but we have a few options and they are, I think, very dependent on people. So my personal preference right. when I'm working as a software engineer is to do pair programming. Okay. That's what I yep. enjoy. That's what I, and, and that is what I think I am most effective at, right? Because... Uh, and the philosophy, you know, for maybe like we might ask, what is pair programming? I was going mean, to say, would, what I is would pair think programming? that most people would know this, but I'm probably wrong about that. I, what is pair programming? So pair programming is the idea that it's like, oh, code reviews lead to better code. So let's just do them all the time, but without the bad parts. Um, oh. And so when I do pair programming, the way that I do it is I have a special computer setup with two monitors that are mirroring the same display. So you see the same thing on both monitors. Mm-hmm. Uh, two keyboards, two mice, all attached to the same computer, and a big enough desk to where two people can sit very comfortably at that desk, usually right. with like you know their notes or their a drink or whatever other desk accoutrement you might want. But, so but like, not, you know, you're not like in each other's laps completely. You right. are. There is room to be, as you say, comfortable. Yes. So we're talking about at least a six-foot desk, maybe an eight-foot desk. Somewhere in that range, um, so that two people can work at one computer comfortably for an extended period of time. Uh, when I do this, I tend to do it if so. I have worked in jobs where I have worked this way all day, every day, for basically the entirety of the job for years on end, right? So I've wow. done a lot of this, and uh, I have found in my experience doing that 
that you really can't do it. I can't do it. Other people might be different. I can't really do it for more than about six hours a day. That's my sort of sustainable pace for pair programming. So six hours out of a regular day, so mm-hmm. you know three quarters of the day, effectively. So you yeah, need at least a couple of hours that. of not pairing yep. in order to presumably not strangle the person you've been sat next to all day. Because <laughs> I know how other people feel about my be, being close to me in close proximity for so long. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it can be like I am, you know, people talk about, and I don't know how much of a basis this has in actual like psychology, but people talk about introverts and extroverts and introverts Mm -hmm. being, you know, sort of recharged by being alone and extroverts being recharged by being with other people. And I actually do kind of think of myself as a person that leans more introvert in that like if I'm around too many people for too long, I feel drained, right? And I just need to go and sort of relax and be by myself for a while and I feel energized. Not that I don't enjoy being around people. I just don't find it energizing. There's a limit to how, yeah, exactly. It's a net tax on your your soul to, 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 to be, to give out to people to talk to spend time with people then you're like i just need to have a little yeah, yeah. 10 minutes to myself Thank yeah you. so so i i have found that that sort of six hour time limit is you know in the context of pair programming which is sort of a very specific way of working if i do this for six hours with breaks in between right you know well well spaced breaks is an important part of this then um, I can do it for about six hours, and I can do that in perpetuity. I can do that for years. Right, right? that's a sustainable pace yeah. of, of of pair programming. Right. Mm-hmm. So, exactly. do you want to go into a little bit more detail about how this works? Because you mentioned yeah. it in the t- in a way that I hadn't thought of it before. And you know, and obviously, I have pair programmed. I, I've, you and I have pair programmed as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but you mentioned it in, in the context of like continuous code review, which is not mm-hmm. really how I have perceived it before. But it's an interesting one. So perhaps we want to dig into like what your I yeah, mean, is there yeah. like one driver, one backseat driver? Do you switch? Do you take it every yeah. other key press? How does that work? Mm-hmm. So the the sort of the the basic technique. So you remember in the episode, ooh, have we posted this one yet? Where we talk about Shuhari? We did talk about that one, right? Yeah. So Shuhari. So the shoe level technique for pair programming is something that's called ping pong. Right. Oh, the way ping pong works, and and ping pong is intimately tied. Do you want to just t- for the sake of of just quickly recap Shuhari in case people don't want to squirrel oh, back yeah. and listen to what it Shuhari. is? So. so Shuhari is a uh, technique that I use when I'm mentoring mentors, so teaching people how to teach people. And if you're trying to teach people something, you have a three phase process where you say follow these steps exactly, and you will get this result exactly if you follow these steps. And then the re that's the shoe. That's yeah. the shoe. And then re is, oh, when we do these things, we start to see patterns emerge. And then we can give names to the patterns. And we can talk about things in terms of patterns. And we can we can see all the patterns that are happening as we do all these various things. And then re is when you sort of transcend that and you just focus on outcomes. Like, these are the outcomes that I want to occur. I know how to make that happen because of all of the things that I've learned. And yes, maybe I think of certain things in terms of patterns, but really move beyond that. Right? That's Got what it. I re. So... The, hey, how, Ben, how do I do pair programming? The shoe level technique for how to get a sense of what true pair programming is like. This is like the prescriptive way that it is ping pong. Yeah, ping pong. And so, and this isn't what I, when I'm working for years on end doing six hours a day of pair programming, I'm not doing ping pong for six hours a day. Right, right? but 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 ping pong is is taking it in turns, presumably, for some amount of time. How how long would you say? Yeah, well, so there's a, there's a, the, the technique is this. So, and it's intimately tied in with test-driven development. You don't have to do pair 
tester development and pair programming, but the way that ping pong works is with tester development. Got it. Is you have two people at a computer, like I said before, with the setup. Mm-hmm. One of them writes the smallest failing test that they think will drive some interesting or useful behavior out of the system. And then the other person writes the smallest amount of code that they can think of to make that test pass. And then that, and then they write a test for the other person. So, right. So it's not that one person is writing tests and one person is writing code. That's not how it works. It's one person writes a test. The other person writes code and then a test. And then the other person writes code and then a test. And you're trying to write the smallest amount of code that you can to achieve that goal, right? That makes sense. And it it, did sort of, I can see how that drives out um, uh, a certain amount of adversarial is not the right word here, but you know, like there's a certain um, like testing where you're like, well, I'm going to try and make it not work. And then you're going to say, well, this is the minimal amount of code that will satisfy your test. Ha ha. But like, clearly it's also broken. So you're immediately going to write the test that says, well, I'll show you how your square root function doesn't work for negative numbers. It doesn't throw an exception. Well, you didn't test that. And so there's kind of a nice collaboration there, but it's hopefully, I presume. Uh, oh, it's very friendly. Uh, friendly, yeah. yeah. That's the yeah. word I'm looking for. Yeah, yeah. Yes, it's yes, a friendly Exactly. Thing. So that's the, 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 the starting point is to literally right. have that. Now, obviously, as you say, phrased around TDD as being like the way that you f- frame, I should say, framed around TDD as the, as mm. the methodology. Yeah. So then At, pre- presumably after that, you can migrate to less proscriptive ways of doing things. Exactly. And and that the, the intent of, of ping pong in a lot of ways is to give you a sense of some really important attributes of pair programming. Um, that it's easy to get lost, especially if you've never done it before, especially if you've never done it effectively. Like anytime you find yourself in a situation where you are watching another person code, like sort of passively, it's fallen apart. That's not how it's supposed to work. The right. intent so, of pair programming is not to just I sit here and I watch you code for six hours. Or, or worse, that I've seen and I've, this has happened to me before is like someone leans back in their chair and starts checking their emails on their phone. Yeah, right? that's yeah. not that's right. that's clearly like yes. you're not. They, paying, they, I'm going to start very writing. Clearly checked out. Yes, you are right. a smelly person in comments <laughs> in my code and see if they notice it. Right, <laughs> right, right, right. Um, what you want is that same mentality that you have in a code review. But you have a huge benefit, and the huge benefit is that you have all of the context loaded up in your head, right? right. Like how many times have you have you been in the middle of a code review, and you you know are looking at a piece of code, and you're like, why was this code written? Where where did this come from? Where like like you have no sense of the process of creation and like, okay, well, I made this function because I had this other function that needed to call a function that looked like this function. And that function is tied to this thing. And like all of that context, when you're in, you're statically looking at a set of code is like, it's very it's, hard to find. It, yeah. It's, you'd have to, it's almost like a detective trying to tease it apart. Whereas when you're pair programming, it's all loaded up in your head, just like it was for the original programmer who wrote the code, which by the way is you because you're trading off with somebody else, right? So one person has that sort of review mindset and the other person has the coding mindset and you're switching off back and forth enough to where you never lose it, right? Got Again, it. it's a sort of like if you're leaning back in your chair with your phone, you've switched into code review mode and, and that's... And then you've lost that good. that yeah. ramp up. Yeah. 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 So, so a way to simulate that is with ping pong because it forces you to do that and it forces you to experience that basically and then you're like oh yeah okay now i kind of get this but that's not how you actually do pair programming when you're doing it for real right there's a much more organic presumably as well as you you as a programmer who's used to pairing and your partner who is in the same situation or and presumably your partner may swoop around depending on your, your team dynamics and things like that mm-hmm. but within 
a, a particular partnership of you and another person who have paired before, there's a familiarity with the process mm-hmm. whereupon you can start dropping the ping pong. And you're like, well, I'm just going to write three tests and then you can write the yeah. things because these yeah. are all related and we both know that and we look each other in the eye or whatever. Right, right, right. It's a skill like any other skill. You got to learn how to do it. You know, from anecdote, anecdotal evidence of my own, right? I, there are definitely people that I pair program with where we have learned the kind of trigger responses that we, we all <laughs> respond to for the best, right? So, yeah, yeah, you yeah. know, when I'm accidentally copy, and I've got air quotes around accidentally, copy pasting some other function and failing to rename the thing that clearly is what I wanted to do, I'm t- I'm testing for the person next to me to go like, wait, 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 wait. No, no, no. You realize that you've got, I mean, yes, of course I realize that. I'm, I just want to see if you're paying attention anymore. <laughs> and then with financial stuff, it's, you know, like buying and selling and the quantities of the things. You'd, like, you'd copy it and go, buy equals this. And like, buy equals that. And they're like waiting for them to say, don't you mean sell? You're like, yes, yes, I do. You are you are watching. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, and right. I- there's a dynamic that comes from, from that. Sorry, you were going to say. Oh, yeah. And it's like, and as you progress through these things, you start doing stuff um, where you, you bend the rules a little bit. Like one of the advantages actually of a code review is that you get a more independent opinion, a more formal code review or a pull request or other things like this is you get a little bit more independent opinion of what the code is and what it's doing. And you get somebody that hasn't been there for the whole context. And like, can I still understand this code without all the context? Right? Like that's, that's kind of an important thing. And so as you get a little bit more mature with this technique, you're able to kind of like intentionally bring that mindset back, right? Where you say like, okay, we were working on this little bit of code. I want to switch back over to this other thing that we were doing 20 minutes ago because I forgot how it works. And if I don't understand it, then we did it wrong. <laughs> we need to go back I and see. do it again, right? I was going to ask about that. That yeah. does seem like... You can kind of trigger the pair of you both back into that mode um by by just being conscious about it and doing it intentionally right and and it's not something you would necessarily do if you were doing it by yourself you can do it by yourself but sometimes it's it's really helpful right just in the course of like trying to understand like oh i i kind of lost it like what what were we doing again like what was this and your your pair can either sort of bring you back up to speed or you can kind of do this thing where it's like no no no, let's go back and reread this thing right right so so that can be a really a, a sort of um Good balancing it. But again, that's sort of something that you learn how to do effectively that's later. That's further down the road, right? Yeah. So that's interesting because that actually is something that I do or something similar to that approach is what I do when I'm submitting a pull request. Mm-hmm. So obviously that's a very different way. And perhaps if we talk a little bit about my – I wouldn't say it's my favorite mm-hmm. thing, but you know, naturally that's the way that I work. I, As we've said, I've pair programmed a fair amount. Um I don't know if I could do six hours sustained. I could probably do four hours. Uh, you know, I, I haven't – I'm just like – finger in the mm-hmm. air for, for that kind of thing there. And I have spent a bunch of time and I've learned so much from people who are substantially better than me at closure or Unix scripting or C++ techniques or whatever by pairing with them. And so that, irrespective of the quality and the bug freeness and the sharing of, uh, of ideas of, of, of like how the systems work, that has been a huge boon to me has been like spending that quality time with a much more talented developer and going, oh, wow, I never even thought about that. That's amazing. So, you know, I think we're both going to end up with the, you know, there are ways and means where, you know, pull requests are good for some things. You know, there's not going to be a clear winner from this, right? I think we're, let's get our cards on the table here. We're not, there's not going to be a one answer at the end of this, this episode. But pull requests for me have been, first of all, a sort of necessity for open source projects that I'm mm-hmm. working on. So that's obviously 
uh, uh, somewhere where I, I've formed some opinions about the best way to do them, the best way to receive them and handle them and things like that. But I've also realized that it pretty much in all of my professional career, I have always thought about writing code that way once source control came into into my life. And it's literally only now that I'm sort of ruminating when I used to I have a vivid memory of speaking to uh, a, a friend who I later founded a business with um, while we were both working in the games industry. He and I um, um, were working together on something. And I said, well, how did you choose this commit message that you're writing? He goes, oh, I always have a, like a notepad open and I diff my code from beginning to end before I check it in. This is before any kind of pull request or you know anything. So it's literally just Wild West, check your code in. And then he would write a summary of what that change was about. And then very often he said, while doing it, he would discover things like, oh, I hadn't done this thing properly or I forgot to take this line out or this has got some mm-hmm. debug code or whatever. And then at the end of it all, you've kind of reviewed your own code as it were while and while doing so generated the commit message and then you check that in and i thought that sounds great and i adopted that methodology myself and basically i haven't looked back that has been how i've done it since it's always been that and so nowadays what i tend to do is i make a branch you know i'm committing code all the time and i'm making changes and i'm committing them and locally i'll push a branch up and make sure the ci gives me the old clear as well so that's kind of like my secondary uh, uh, thing and then I will go and I will create the pull request and I will read it myself and you'll and if, if you actually go and look at any of my uh, uh, PLs if I've ever sent you you'll probably find the, the last commit before I sent it to you was self-review I will always go over the code myself and try and pretend to be the reviewer because I've done enough of the reviews I'm looking for the kind of telltale signs that the the end result of all of my commits and changes that constitute this one atomic change that I would like people to review mm-hmm. Um you know, I'm looking at it hopefully with a more impartial, take two steps away uh, mind. And oftentimes I'll be like, oh yeah, I should probably break this into two pull requests, or this is not been well explained, or I haven't got a test for that. Whoops, so let me go and write a test for that, or I haven't thought about this type of thing. It, it definitely is a very different um, thing. And of course you can diff on your computer, but I actually find pushing to GitHub and using the GitHub tooling, which I'm familiar with, mm-hmm. right, you know, scrolling through, means that I can't edit the code i'm not in my editor it doesn't look the way i'm expecting i've actually flipped over into that review mindset and i find that helpful Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so that is Mm -hmm. an interesting uh, observation i've found in myself is that one looks at it differently so the overall sense though is yes you are expecting somebody to come out of nowhere potentially and look at your code Whereas obviously their their caches are warm, if not actually boiling hot, if you're sat next to them for the half an hour, you know, back and forth that you've been doing. Um, mm-hmm. So it is on the pull request submitter, I think, to make sure that your pull request is sm- as small as can meaningfully be done, mm-hmm. um, is well described in the pull request itself so that you can give enough framing and enough context to the the person who's reviewing your code, that they hopefully won't have to come back to you and ask, hey, what about mm-hmm. that thing? Why are, we, why are you even doing this? That kind of meta meta question. Um, then obviously you want the tests to be green and hopefully, mm-hmm. again, it minimal. And to, to your point, actually, what I find when I'm reviewing other people's code um, is very often, though, you'll get to that bit where you can see the diff and you just wish you could see a bit more because you've lost enough of the context. You know, I can't go mm. to definition of that thing. Why is it you're doing that kind yep. of stuff? So that's yep. definitely an issue I think that you, you suffer from. But the benefit is it is asynchronous. Mm. You know, I, it's not as draining 
uh, on, on a sort of social level as it is yeah, to be yeah. pairing with somebody, even very good mm-hmm. pals, you know, already good pals. Sure. Uh, it, it can be very draining, but and um, it allows you to, with a certain amount of creativity, stack and nest. Check, sorry, my dog is making a right of a racket behind me right now. <laughs> no longer a puppy now. Well, no longer a tiny puppy. Now he's just uh, a menace, making very loud noises, thumping around. <laughs> but yeah, the um, you know, with a certain amount of forethought, you can have a chain of changes, each of which can be reviewed. And uh, you can sort of yep. prevent yourself from being totally blocked by waiting for somebody. Because, of course, that is the problem with pull requests is you submit them and now you're like, oh, right. now what? You better have yeah. more than one thread of execution going. Whereas in a pair, of course, that's you're getting that approval constantly right. and continuously. And that's a fantastic uh, side effect. But, I, yeah, I, I wonder, though. So here's, here's something to put to you, right? So I've kind of described my, my pull requesty type thing. Mm-hmm. Is it not the case that... In some cases, if you are pair programming with a particularly, um, what's the what's the best word, charismatic programmer, they might uh-huh. be able to carry you along a path where you wouldn't normally go, in, a, in not in not in a good way. Like, hey, you know, uh-huh. I'm doing these. This isn't this a clever thing, and and it requires a certain amount of social dynamic and social capital to sort of say, uh-huh. uh, actually, clever closure programmer. Sorry, again, my hound is making funny noises. But, hey, very clever closure program. I don't really understand this, and I don't know whether it's just me being not as smart as I need to be, right, or are right, you being right. overly clever? <laughs> and I mean right. that clever in the sort of pejorative yep. sense. Yep. Um, uh, yeah, absolutely. And and so this gets back to pair programming being a skill, uh, ah, like right. any other skill. And and as a, as a pair, you need to make sure that you're not uh, – usually the phrase we use for this is chewy seating someone – uh, as in Chewbacca from Star Wars, right? <laughs> Where you're Han Solo and your par- your pair is just sort of there, you know, hanging out, making weird noises. <laughs> like, like my dog uh, is behind like, me. Like your dog. Like, yeah, exactly. Um, he gets it. So that's that's a skill that you need to learn how to recognize in yourself yep. when you're doing that to someone. You need to be able to recognize when in other people when you sort of look over and you're like, oh, yeah, he is completely lost right now. I... I have really screwed this up. I need to back up about 12 steps. Right, and that's obviously a a huge opportunity in some cases to explain to someone and level them up to if you are the the person who's left the other person behind. It's like, no, let me sit down and explain. Let's go to a whiteboard. Let's let's go through what this is doing and get the buy-in that I need from you. But you need to recognize it in yourself. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. And and it's, you know, a sort of um, basic understanding of this dynamic is you might have people who are more junior and people who are more senior but realistically, and like as I've gone through this in my career, um, it's never that simple. You can learn from everyone. I've, I've learned from people with 10, 20 years less experience than me because they look at problems in a different way or they ask questions that I wouldn't think to ask or they just know things that I don't know. They have yeah um, domain and, knowledge or experiences yeah. that you just have not come across. I mean, yeah. Or just anything. I mean, it doesn't even necessarily have to do with programming. And I actually think this is one of the great benefits of pair programming is that you learn all kinds of things about how your computer works that you didn't know. Right. Bash tricks, little utilities, commands, diagnostic tools and techniques that you would just never even... Like, that's never going to show up in a code review, right? Like, it's just the kind of thing where it's like you learn skills about how to solve problems, um, right. which is really what software is sort of all about. Yeah. Yeah, that's the problem, I suppose. Yeah, with, with the pull re- request, right, you've seen the sausage after it's been made. And mm-hmm. you're like, this is a mighty mm-hmm. fine sausage. That looks great. 
and you've got no idea what really how yeah. the the process how how painful or otherwise it was to come to this beautiful thing now that sort of appeals to me as a character flaw where I like to present someone with a beautifully gift wrapped uh, <laughs> yep. PR as uh-huh. if it was came out of the firmament. But I've lo- actually one of the sort of big things I've made is is um, certainly for open source projects is to never like squash my history because although I'm going to present to you this beautiful artifact that I've made, if you open up and look at all the individual changes, you'll see. Any number of commit messages mm-hmm, who contain mm-hmm. swear words and other various like yep, <laughs> things yep, yep, like this yep. is not this was a misstep yes. I made a mistake so there's a bit yes. of both in there but I do like the idea right. of presenting someone and saying look look how lovely it is oh Don't I you totally appreciate agree it? yeah and I do that too when I when I do pull requests I always squash my commits um, because it's just you know because you know part of me is a writer and I want to be kind to my readers right like yeah uh, I I'm trying to to give them something that's easy to understand and easy to digest. Uh, not too big, you know, with good wor- good names. I got to give 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 things good names. And if you have all your sort of intermediate commits mi- mixed in there, I think. Plus, it makes it harder to roll back. I mean, I think that you know. Yeah, that's again, true. Again, uh, uh, rolling back lovingly, lovingly hard. reverting someone's uh, commit is sometimes something that is uh, very important and useful to do. Right. We've um, discussed this before. Yes, that's yes, an important thing to yes. be able to do. So you want to yes. be kind yeah. to those coming after you and say, well, if I have, it seems mm-hmm. very unlikely, but if I have made a mistake, I want to make it easy for you to be able to give me that that evening's piece of not being paged at four in right, the morning. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. The thing you merged in had a problem. We reverted it. You can fix it tomorrow. Yes. No need to worry. Right. Yes. That's that's the outcome that you want. So yeah, squishing the commits, making them creating that sort of nice, clean, you know, here reviewer, please, this is this is another thing that I want to present right. to you. I think I'm hundred percent in favor of Well, that. as again, I just want to make sort of clear that, that that's how I work within repos individually, mm-hmm. but as a as an open source expositionary expository, whatever that word is, I don't mind people seeing the bits of the sausage because I mean it would be me that'd be reverting it and I don't want to mm-hmm give the impression that I'm not an incompetent fool that's just about that's sort of brownian motioned my way to a somewhat decent solution right that's more than the honest answer right yeah, so yeah. I don't mind having that bit there and I think that's an important thing for for folks to see although that might just yeah. be me looking for an excuse to be <laughs> <laughs> well it is I mean it is different when you're creating something for someone else to review as a complete thing versus you know creating commits that sort of show a history of some, you know, a process. A process. Or, you know, if some, you didn't have like the, that. I mean, this is it's a it's a poor substitute for being sat with somebody while they're doing the work, but it maybe gives something. I, I I've yeah. honestly never actually had uh, any feedback as to the result of whether people see that and kind of go, oh, that's cool. I see how you got to the mm-hmm. place, but so maybe they don't. But I'm yeah, just kidding myself. I, don't know. <laughs> I think that would kind of naturally show up in the Git blame history, but maybe that's not. true. Actually. I don't know. Yeah. It's a good point. Like here are the things we tried here, and the last one was the one that sort of Stuck. we thought it worked. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we gave up. Right, basically, we gave is up. What happened? We just gave up. <laughs> yeah. No, that's pretty cool. So then, you know, if we, there's a there are there are benefits to both approaches. Mm-hmm. I definitely lean. I mean, no, that's not true. I was going to say I lean towards pull request based development. I think at the very at the moment, I am currently going through a set of processes where. I am trying to find a more creative uh, solution to problems, right? I have a whole bunch of things that are essentially very Mm open-ended and I'm finding it useful to have the time to think by myself, like a couple of hours of staring into the void kind of level thing. That's Mm -hmm. not honestly to say that 
talking it through with another human wouldn't make it better. It'd be just different. But I have had experiences before now where I'm trying to go through that process and eventually I have to turn around to my parents and say, can you actually just look at your phone for 15 minutes? Because I really yeah, just yeah. need to try this out and I don't know where yeah. it's going. And I, I kind of don't need the continuous um, feedback because I feel like I need the space to make a, a you know, try something stupid and, and totally different. And I need, I need to not have you watch me, right? <laughs> this is like, right, you know, right, right, don't right. look at me. La, 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 la. And at the end of the 15 minutes, I may return around to you and say, you are absolutely right. There is no good way of doing this. Or I may better say, hey, good news. Mm-hmm. How about this? Right. And right. so there's a fine line between us two. And so how do you deal with, in your, in your uh, mind, those sort of creativity things where you're searching a, a huge problem space and, you know, analysis paralysis yeah. can be a problem and talking it through with someone else will may just stop you both. So I think this just comes down to how individuals work. Cause I, for me, being able to explore a problem like that while talking to somebody is actually helpful. Right. Like mm-hmm. I, I very rarely, I mean, not never, but I, I very rarely find myself in a situation where I just want to shut out the whole world and, and, you know, focus on a problem all by myself. I always find, very, I very commonly find that just verbalizing it engages a different part of my brain, which is good. Right. Right. It helps me think about problems in a better way. I mean, we've all and so the nodding duck. The nod, nodding duck is real. Um, I yeah, mean, yeah. I I remember when I was like in my late teens, I would re- refer to it as, as as explaining it to my mum because my mum would come upstairs and be going, "What are you doing up in your room all this time?" And I'd be like, "Well, <laughs> I've got a problem." And I'd get coffee cups out and use the handles to point as like the linked list next pointer, and I'd be trying to explain uh-huh. to her why my linked list wasn't working. And by the time you finished explaining, it, of course, you've got the answer. Like that, everyone yeah, knows. Of course, yes. right. right. And obviously, that you, you're absolutely right. It does engage a different part of your 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 brain but i think my concern yeah. is that sometimes you don't need that part of your brain you actually need the other part of your brain the quiet part of your brain mm-hmm. to do some work so i i think everyone's just going to have their own differences there and i would never propose pair programming as a like company-wide mandate right or if you did do that you better have a really clear hiring policy that's like look <laughs> like, this is how we do things if this you don't is how like we it. Do it and it's weird so like you should be aware of what you're signing up for here yeah. but like i would never propose that as like a company wide policy it's just something that like you know if if people want to collaborate that way they can and and you know creating an environment where that's possible is the real decision that you're making yeah. like are we going to set things up so that that's possible yes okay well then it'll happen to whatever extent it happens and for you individually, I would never say that, no, 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 your way of doing it is wrong because, you know, it's not this. It's like, it's whatever works for you. And, and you know, different tolerances for how long and on what kinds of problems and all of that other stuff, I think is right. completely fine. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So this is this podcast has been going on for a little while and we have way more to talk about. We haven't talked about actually what you think makes for a good pull request. Oh, that's true. That's like that's a really important topic, and we should talk about that. Um, and there's other stuff that we could talk about. There's a technique called mob programming, which is similar to pair programming, uh, which I have not done nearly as much as pair programming, but that's probably something else. So maybe we should talk about that in a second episode of this. That sounds like a great idea. Part two. A part two. Let's, Let's try that on. Let's try a part two. All right. Well, then this is the end of part one. Fantastic. I look forward to talking to you about this next time. All right. 
You've been listening to Two's Compliment, a programming podcast by Ben Rady and Matt Godfold. Find the show transcript and notes at twoscompliment.org. Contact us on Twitter at 2CP, that's at T-W-O-S-C-P. Theme music by Inverse Phase, inversephase.com. <laughs>